sir. Watch it, Bill. You have a cord around your foot. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 7, really 1 through 6 this morning. Um, as always, if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along. There should be one in front of you underneath the seat. If there isn't, if you need a Bible, if you raise your hands, the ushers will bring one to you. Does anybody need a Bible? Is everybody good? That's a good thing. Um, just want to thank everybody who was involved in the women's event yesterday. I thought it went very well. Bertie's very happy about it. <laughs> uh, Jeanette Walls, who taught, did an excellent job, and it was just a blessing. You know, I just kind of sit in the background, and it was just a blessing to kind of be a, a fly on the wall and just kind of observe all that was going on. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. First Peter chapter 3, I'll start reading at verse 1. It says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Father, I just pray, Lord, for this message that, God, you have ordained men and women, for their roles, Father, that you have well-defined. And as we look at these things, I just pray, Father, that we would compare them to our lives and our ministries to our spouses. Compare them, Father, to, uh, to those who are more mature, less mature. And, Father, we as a church would encourage one another in these things. Again, the end result is always ministry and that you would be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. Very valuable information, obviously, for those who are married, but even those who aren't married, yet to be married, or a widow, or a widower, or whatever it might be, because these are the things that we need to encourage the younger people in our church in. Uh, I would say marriage counseling is the number one sought-after counseling within the body of Christ. And when I say counseling, I don't always mean formally. It may just be something as far as people sitting out in the fellowship area or whatever it might be. But all of us as born-again believers, we need to be well-prepared, well-versed in these things so that the advice that we give, the direction that we give is not of ourselves, but that which is of the Lord through the Word of God. I was reminded of something in devotions this morning as I was sitting in prayer with some of the guys, and Gene had pointed out, he had read from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, it says, To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they are ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. 
The descriptions that we have are things that angels even desire to look into. And it's an amazing thing. The angels, as they know the Word of God, are seeing the Word of God as it plays out in our lives. And it's an amazing thing as they observe these things. So anyway, what we've been looking at is the Apostle Peter. And it's interesting the details that he has gone into and the concepts that he has looked at when he has decided to give this teaching on submission to suffering. Again, Peter is in Rome and hardship is coming upon the church that is in Rome at that time and he knows it's going to be going out into the surrounding area. So Peter has wrote this epistle for the purpose of preparing the church to receive the hardship that is going to come. Now, I don't think as far as the areas of suffering, Peter has listed them in areas of importance, but very possibly areas of difficulty. So at some point, Peter determined through the Spirit that submission to God through abstaining from the flesh is probably one of the most difficult things that we do, to die to our fleshly desires and live to the Spirit. Next would be submission to government, and that's very difficult, especially when they're contrary to you or contrary to the Word of God. After that would be submission in the workplace, that, again, job that affects the majority of the time that we spend throughout the week. Then Peter decided at some point that what teaching on suffering would truly be complete without marriage. (laughs) I don't know how he explained that one to Mrs. Apostle Peter, but nonetheless, marriage, it is that difficult institution. God has established it, but man does not always embrace it to the capacity to which God intended it. And we can so fight for what we think to be right, and I'm talking about just in the confines of marriage between husband and wife. We have two imperfect people struggling together, and it can be one of the most difficult things that we ever do. It could be one of the biggest blessings that we have, and it can be one of the most difficult things that we'll ever do. Also, notice I would be remiss in telling you as I read the first six verses that in this concept of submission in marriage, it takes six verses to lecture to the ladies. Notice as far as the men, we only have one to manage the men. That tells you something, ladies. Actually, the idea here is is that the woman's role, the woman's role, especially in the society to which Peter is writing to, the women had a lot more difficult time. The ratio of verses actually speaks to the hardship of a woman's role in that society during that day. Usually when a man would get saved in that society, the rest of the family would follow. For the most part, they wouldn't have any choice to at least follow in the beliefs of the man of the home. Usually when a woman would get saved, she's on her own, and sometimes very literally on her own, in that she would be divorced or expelled from the home. And so the ladies would have a very difficult time. A couple of things, suffering, suffering in the context in which we're looking at this epistle, suffering is dying to our natural desires. Again, our suffering will not be so much physical in our society today, but the suffering comes about, just the hardship comes about when I have to die to myself for the benefit of my marriage, my wife, my family, my job, the government, so on and so forth. Submission, submission is not submission unless submission is hard. Unless it goes contrary to who you are or what you think, then it's truly not submission. If it's easy, then 
well, you're just doing it because of the easiness or the benefit that you're able to get from it, but submission will require something from us. The purpose for all of this, we saw it in chapter 2, verse 12, having your conduct honorable amongst the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. How much more so if you are married, and that's the context here, to an unbelieving spouse. That as I not only preach the word of God, but as I live the word of God. And we can all live the word of God here at church. It's kind of the expected thing to do. I pray that you live the word of God out in society. But truly, as J. Vernon McGee would say, where the rubber meets the road is when we live the word of God in our homes. Because in our homes, we feel free to express the person who we are. Who is the person who you are? What expression of your faith are you giving in the home? Is it that which is contrary to a born-again believer or that which exemplifies a born-again believer? As God guides in this direction, God will provide. He will enable us to fulfill the role in which he has called us, especially in this area of submission and suffering. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 30, he said, My yoke is easy and my burden is light, but it will require something from you. Again, my yoke is easy. A yoke is something that you would yoke two animals together. You would usually have a more mature and a less mature, and the purpose was to perform a job, some sort of work. We, for the work that God has called us to, in this particular case in marriage, we are yoked together with the Lord Jesus Christ. He will guide us in this area if we are open to the leading of the Spirit. But how much, especially in marriage, do we allow ourselves to be led by the flesh, led by what we think is right or maybe what I think that I need? We're not in marriage. I'm not, I did not marry my wife to have my needs fulfilled. I married my wife so that I can fulfill her needs and she would fulfill my needs. And in that, we would be filled by the Lord Jesus Christ. I did not think it through in those terms when we first got married because we weren't saved. But I've come to learn and to understand that as I give of myself, as she gives of ourselves, then we do well together. As we become self-centered or what's in it for me, that's where the issues, that's where the problems come about. So as I stated earlier, the main dynamic of the marriages, both for the men and the women here, are those of a parent with, who are, I'm sorry, a um, partner who is married to an unbeliever. So it's people who are married to a spouse that has yet to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Notice also that the instruction for the men and women are different. Why would that be? Because regardless of what society says, men and women, they're different. That's one of the benefits that I've found in marriage is the differences between the two of us. But in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. He created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
So as I've said before, God in his desire to create mankind in his image, he created man, and man was to fulfill the masculine will of God. And also, wanting to create mankind in his image, it was also necessary, God deemed, to create female, and that she would fulfill the feminine aspect of, of, of God's image. And then when the two become one, it's when I come together with my spouse that I am truly fulfilling the image of God that is to be best seen in my children, in my ministry, and throughout our lives. And so I best represent God when I'm being the man, when I'm doing the things that the scripture has told me to do as a man, as a husband. For myself, it's to be the spiritual leader of my home. It's to guide and direct my wife, my children, and now my grandchildren in the Lord and in the things of the Lord. When I do things that she doesn't understand, she's not here today, she's sick. It kind of yesterday just kind of took everything out of her and she's got a cold and whatnot, probably watching online, so I won't get into trouble until I get home. But um, when I do things, there's things that I do that she just doesn't understand or it's taken her years to understand. She, it's taken her quite a long time and she would admit this, I think. <laughs> she would admit this, that as far as I just love competition, she doesn't understand that, and she doesn't deal well with that, but I just love competition. A few years ago, I kind of got into hiking, and we were hiking up to these mountain pieces. Why do you hike up there? You get up there, and you turn around, and you walk back. But part of it is to conquer that peak, to say that I, that I did it. You know, used to play in sports, and it was just the competition. It's, it's just who I was, and it's how I ra- was raised, and it's the things that I participated in. My father, and he was like one of the chief trash talkers that ever existed. You know, he would, I would be <laughs> this, this second grade kid, and we'd be playing basketball, and he would dominate me and laugh in my face. And that's how I was raised, you know, to, that competition. You know, it's all in fun and, and whatnot, but it, it's just what it is. You know, why do you have to go golfing all the time? Just because there's this competition, not against even the other guys, but against myself and against the course. And it's just something, well, I'm a man. And, and sometimes she'll look at me and say, men are such idiots. Because, I mean, in a nice way, but because, and it's, she's not saying that we're idiots so much as we're kind of a thing. <laughs> What she's recognizing and how different a man is, is from a woman. Now, she best represents God when she's being the woman and doing woman things. And I like when she does woman things, but sometimes I'll just look at her and marvel at God's sense of humor. And just think, really, Lord? But, hey, I don't always understand. Yesterday, we're coming to the woman's thing, and they needed some dishes, so we got her Christmas dishes. And it was like, be careful with the dishes. Because those things are important to her. And I'm just thinking, if I drop this, I bet you it would smash into a million pieces. You know, just kind of thinking along those. And she's thinking, you better not drop those things. But again, that's the beauty of it. And there's an appreciation towards it. I wouldn't want to be married to somebody like me. But I love being married to somebody who is like her. And again, we've learned to flourish in our differences and do well in our differences. I'm going to be 61 here in a week or so, and all throughout those years, 
I've learned a lot in those many years of marriage to her and, and, and throughout my life. And, and I just see the, the value of, of, of putting the time and putting the effort into your spouse and into your marriage. Because there was a time, believe it or not, that I was 23 years old. That's, I think that's how old I was when we got married, somewhere right around there. And the time, it just went so fast. You young people, ask any old person. The time, it just flies by. And the investment that you make during that time in your marriage and in the Lord, it just reaps such benefits. So first up is the role of the wife in submitting to his unbelieving husband. If you've heard this before, once again, keep in mind that discipleship is all about not knowing more of what to do, but doing of what you know to do. And so many times in the scriptures, we're getting reminders. We've seen these things in uh, the book of Ephesians. We've seen these things in the book of Galatians. We see these things many times, couples retreats, and we're going to be having a Valentine's dinner again this year. I think it's on the 16th or something like that. Rose is going, yes, so it's on the 16th of February this year. And so we're putting that together. We're probably going to have another couples retreat. And if you just kind of look at it surface, it kind of do the same thing over and over and over again it has the same basic message but you know what we need to be reminded of these things and there's times when God will show you something that maybe you're lacking or something from a different perspective that you're able to add to your ministry or maybe add to the ministry again from the standpoint of encouraging somebody who is younger as well So it's important to understand before we go further too, what is not being discussed here is for a believer to marry an unbeliever. That is forbidden in the scriptures. But this is how to act when one spouse comes to faith in Christ and the other doesn't. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 13 through 15, And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified, as God blesses the home of the wife, the husband enters into that. The unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, otherwise your children would be unclean. But now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. God has called us to peace. So he's talking in in Corinth. There was a little bit of a misunderstanding. Now I've come to faith in Christ and I've been commanded to not be married to an unbeliever, but he or she hasn't come to faith in Christ. What do I do in this case? Paul was answering a series of questions in Uh, 1 Corinthians, and the idea is, hey, if you have an unbelieving spouse, you're married in the eyes of God, and you have no right to divorce them just because of that. And so now Peter is expanding on this and how we do this work of ministry in this particular context. And so Peter's first instruction to a wife in any situation, verse 1, is to be submissive. Likewise, be submissive to your own husband's. Now, ladies, there could be that little cringe inside of you of be submissive. Well, this isn't a command to just women. This is a command to both men and women, and we're told that very clearly in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 21, 
when it says before he gets into the roles of the wife and the role of the husband, Paul tells us, again, Ephesians chapter 5 won't be on the board, verse 21, submit to one another in the fear of God. Now a woman is to submit to her husband by sacrificially respecting him. And again, that's sacrificially respecting him. You can only sacrificially respect him if he does not deserve the respect that you are to give to him. And no man is. No man is going to be perfect. And there's going to be times that you're going to have to overlook the shortcomings. And so a woman has been commanded to sacrificially respect her husband. And then we see in in Ephesians, as Paul goes on, that a man is to sacrificially love his wife. That is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And again, it's not sacrificial love unless she does not deserve it. And it's not up to you to determine what is deserved and what isn't deserved. It's simply up to you to sacrificially love her. And so really what you need to, especially if you're single, you need to bring this right up to the beginning. And and that's the number one question that you need to ask yourself when making a determination on who you are to marry. First of all, does God have this person for me? And the number one way to make that determination, can I sacrificially respect or, or, or love this person? Am I able to exhibit a respect for this person, for a woman to a man, in his leadership of the home? Or a man, am, am I able to direct this woman in things of the Spirit, sacrificially given of myself for her spiritual benefit? These are determinations that are essential that are to be made. And so again, the context here are those who are married, in this particular case, a woman who is married to somebody who is an unbeliever. And yeah, you do need to submit to that person. Submit to that person in giving him the respect that is due, that God made the determination is due him for the purpose of his salvation. Because, see, that's the only target that you're aiming at here is that this person would get saved, get right with Jesus Christ, and come into the kingdom of God. I have prayed with women for years in this, before we even started the church. When I was a leader at another church, I remember one particular woman. We were prayed for her husband. I don't remember, but it was four or five years, something like that. And again, every time she was at a prayer meeting or whatever it might be, she wanted prayer for her husband, that her husband would get saved. And then one day I was in an office, service was going on, and I see this man who came down to the front of the front of the church and gave his life to Christ. And I know he's given his life to Christ because I know that he's been walking with the Lord for some 15, 20 years, something like that after the fact. But this woman was just dedicated, and her sole focus was that this man would get right with Jesus Christ, and she gave her all for that purpose. And so... This does not imply, submission does not imply any moral, intellectual, or spiritual inferiority or superiority. I am not superior to my wife. I am not inferior to her, nor is she inferior to me or superior to me. We are all one in Christ. We're told there's neither male nor female in the book of Galatians chapter 3, but we are all one in Christ. But what is being discussed is roles of leadership. Roles of leadership and that God has ordained for his reasons and his purposes according to his wisdom. 
he as the spiritual leader, the man as the spiritual leader, will be held accountable for how he leads. And so I have great responsibility in the sight of the Lord. As God has commanded her to submit to me as the leader, spiritual leader of the house, to have that unconditional respect, there's great responsibility here. If I use that, if I use that to manipulate her, if I use that to control her, woe is me as I stand before the Lord. But as I see, this is something very precious that she gives to me as God has commanded her. This is her act of obedience to Jesus Christ as she does this. I need to hold that in great value. And so that being the case, I need to be the leader that God has called me to be. But again, looking at it from the perspective of the ladies, as you submit to him, and he's not being the leader that God has called him to be, once again, this is to be a sacrificial submission to what God has called you to do. And so, just as surely as I will be held accountable to how I lead, my wife will be held accountable to how she follows. Now, where most people fall short here is that they'll confuse submission with obedience. Obedience is to do what is asked with or without the heart, just to do it because, well, you know what? Bible says I got to submit to you, Mr. Spiritual Leader, so there it goes. That, that's obedience, but that is not submission. Submission is what we do wholeheartedly. Again, there's going to be, at times, there's going to be that conflict within us But as God has called us to submit, and again, I can look at it from the male standpoint or the female standpoint, either way, she's being really hard right now, Lord. Yeah, but I called you to sacrificially love her, and it's to submit myself to my wife and sacrificially loving her and to nurture her and to care for her as she needs to be cared for as I am being that representation of Jesus Christ into her life, and I need to do so wholeheartedly, even if she's not receptive to it. And again, it works back the other way, ladies, to to submit to him and to have that respect for his leadership, even when he does not, if in your estimation, deserve it, but to do so wholeheartedly because he knows that he's undeserving of it, and she knows that she's undeserving of it. And it's at ministry when that attention is given, and that respect is given, when the love is given. And this is God's ordained way of breaking down walls. And the problem is is that we dig our hills in because they're not really deserving of it, and I just don't know if I can do it. And when in actuality you don't really want to do it, But it's when we submit ourselves, and you're submitting to God's word, or submitting to God by submitting to God's word in actuality, that these things, it does break down walls. Because God has told us to do this. And this is what God blesses. And as I am under the shadow of God's wings, in the place of his blessings, it's then that I'll see God do a great work. Because otherwise, what am I doing? I'm doing what I think needs to happen. And usually what you think needs to happen is self-centered and ineffective for God's purpose. And so this is what the Bible tells us in order to see 
God's will come to pass. Again, verse 1, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. And so he's talking about this is within the family. This is the two who have become one. Be submissive to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their lives. The idea of those who have rejected the gospel may be won to the gospel by their wives' ministry to their husband. And so... There is the speaking and there is the talking. There is the wisdom that is necessary to minister. Again, we'll look at it in the context it's presented, a wife and her unbelieving husband. There has to be the ministry of the gospel. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But how are you presenting the word of God? You need to use wisdom in how you do it. You can't be that clanging symbol. When Paul was speaking of, we're looking at this on Wednesday mornings in the men's study, he's speaking of spiritual giftings in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. And then in chapter 14, he continues speaking on spiritual giftings. But in the middle of it, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, what is he speaking of there? He's speaking of love. Because you can exercise spiritual gifting in such a way that it's of no use to God. And, and so as far as the Word of God need to make the consideration of this man and who this man is. What irritates them? Because every wife here, you know what irritates your husband. You could probably set him off pretty quick, even here in the middle of church, and and vice versa. I I can irritate my wife in nothing flat because I know what irritates her. Um, Sometimes I partake in that anyway, but nonetheless, that's... Best reserve for the counseling session. Um, but the idea is, is, is yeah, I, I don't want to discount the necessity of, of the Word of God, but then I don't want to be that clanging symbol in his life all the time. And so the idea is, is to present the Word and let God's purposes be achieved through the presentation of the Word, but then have it shored up through you living God's Word to have that respect for him and to continue in what God has called you to do and who God has called you to be. And so I've got to live these things because if I don't live these things, then what is he going to look at me as, what is he going to look at you as, is the hypocrite. Verse 2, that they may be won by the conduct of their wives. What? When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. When it says fear, it means respect. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, wives are commanded to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord. I'm doing this because this is what God has called me to do. And so as God has commanded you to do it, I submit to my husband, I sacrificially respect him, and men, vice versa as well, it works here. In actuality, you're not really submitting to him, you're submitting to God in doing that. And you're achieving God's purpose in their lives. Because again, what's the, who's the most major influence in my life, in any married person's life? Should be their spouse. And so God's going to do a work through that spouse. Verses 3 through 6. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, ranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious, not in his sight, but in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who, and I underlined this in my Bible, the holy women who trusted in God. See, in, in all of this, you're making yourself vulnerable. 
You mean you want me to, to submit to him? You want me to submit to her? No, I want you to submit to God because ultimately here your trust isn't in him or her. Your, your trust is in the Lord. Holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughter you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. We'll close with the degree of submission that, that Sarah had with Abraham, but you just see that this is what God has called men and women to do from the beginning. And as they have done this, it has achieved God's will. So it's in this area where I see the most struggle in marriage today. I shouldn't say the most struggle, but I see struggle. Again, really verse 3, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, the ranging of hair, wearing gold, or putting on of fine apparel. Those things are all exterior. Those things are all exterior. And guess what? You know, the exterior, the exterior goes away, what, after the first year of marriage? Not, not that you don't take care of yourself, ladies, or, or men. We need to be mindful of that. What first attracted me to my wife was her looks. I remember I was in the sporting goods. I worked in sporting goods and hardware and J.C. Penney's, and she worked in bedding, and she would kind of come floating by because the warehouse or the storage area for bedding was over here, and it's like, whoa, who's that? That, that first got my attention, and it first got her attention as well. She doesn't see very well, so I was my, that was to my benefit. But... That's what first got our attention. And then as we got to know each other, that's what cemented the deal, if you will. But notice the word merely here. Merely, so the command here has nothing to do with never doing these things, but to do them in moderation and not have them be the priority. Again, J. Vernon McGee said, every old barn looks better with a good coat of paint. And so he's not outlawing, spiritually speaking, uh, cosmetics, but to have its place. I've seen marriages where the husband is the bread earner and the wife is the bread burner, where the condition for, of submission is to be a kept woman, and that's not how it is to be. I've seen men, I've talked to men who become frustrated with their wives because her expectations are, or maybe her priority, are nails, hair, clothing, cosmetics, or whatever it might be, and men have been caused to stumble because of this. There's no such thing as a being a queen or a princess or anything. We're a team is what we are. And with one person sets themselves above another, then you've got a mess. And that's the best thing that I could say about my marriage and about my wife is that we are team players. We will not allow ourselves be, to be divided I mean, we'll deal with any divisions that end up privately, but as far as publicly, we're a united front. We were a united front against a common enemy, and that common enemy for so long was our children. Uh, we would not allow them to divide us, but we would have the same mindset towards how we were raising them and what the rules of the house were. Children are master manipulators, and if they tried to manipulate us, I would say, well, what did your mother say, or she would or um, she would say, what did your father say? And so as we presented this team, we did well. But if there's one or the other who, who puts themselves apart from 
from, from what has been decided in the home. There's going to be division at the top, if you will, in the leadership within that home, and then it's going to filter throughout. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, the arranging of hair, wearing gold, the putting on a fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. When he uses the word adornment, in Greek, it's the word cosmos. See all how we adorned the, the church here with these, um, what are these things called? Ornaments. That's, the word ornament comes from the Greek word cosmos. And it kind of looks like outer space here. Kind of, I thought that was kind of a cool thing. But we didn't do it just for this morning's study. And so the word adornment, cosmos, the idea is, is the planets in the universe and how God planted each one. And then there was this one, this one world that God's affections were directed towards. God's affections are not directed towards earth because it's a nice planet or the color of it or anything else, but it's what it contains. It contains you. It contains his people, his people who he loves. I like it when my wife dresses up. I like it when my wife does stuff. She did something up to her hair, and my daughter did something to her hair this past week, and uh, it was kind of cool, and I like the way she did it, and it's just a, a neat thing, but that doesn't change the person of whom she is. It doesn't matter what happens to her hair or what she puts on her face or how she dresses or anything else. It's who she is. She bought a new pair of pajamas yesterday, and last night she asked me, how do I like them? I'm just thinking, they're pajamas. <laughs> but it's important to her. It, it, it's important. If it's important to her, it needs to be important to me. And so, you know, the bottom line, as far as the cosmetics and all of these things, and looking, you know, just in the context of what is being discussed here, ladies, any cosmetic that you have ever put on yourself, where did it end up? Down the drain down the drain. Again, I'm not saying that these things are bad, but again, it's all about looking at the priority. At some point, you wiped it off your face and you threw it away. But what about the inside person? That's what's important because that's what remains. Sooner or later, there is always a turning inside out of a person, and then we know who that truly that person is. And so, do not let your adornment be merely. So it can be inclusive of the outward arranging of the hair. Again, appreciate that. Wearing of gold, well, we can't afford that, but ten. So that, that works for us. Putting on on fine apparel. I like when she gets dressed up. But as far as the priority, let it be the hidden person of the heart, the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And it says here, that's what is precious in the sight of God. That's where God's priority, and I guarantee you, that's where your husband's priority, and how much more so an unsaved husband's priority is. Because again, outward is superficial, but inward is that which continues to give throughout the ages. In Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 through 31, there's a description of a woman here. Again, the Bible always gives us the description of perfection, but these things are things that we are to attain to. And I really love this description of this woman. In verse 10 of Proverbs 31, who could find a virtuous wife, a capable wife, he's saying here, and he's going on to describe perfection. 
For his, her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. He, he trusts her because she knows who he, he is. She knows his shortcomings, but he knows these things are safe with her. As far as the bank book, the checkbook, or whatever, he doesn't have to worry about those things because, again, they're a team. They're on the same page. So he will have no lack of gain. Verse 12, she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She does what is necessary to contribute to the family. She is like the merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while yet it is night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. Again, she's taking care of that which they have made the determination was going to be her portion to do. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it, and from the profit she plants a vineyard. She contributes to the finances of the home. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She's a bodybuilder, apparently. Verse 18, she perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and that her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. She reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all of her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits amongst the elders of the land. The idea is is because of her ministry, she contributes to that. It's been said that behind every successful man, there's a very surprised woman. Verse 24. (laughs) Like that, huh, Frank? She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised." Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. And the idea is, is this one, this isn't a superwoman. This is just a woman who's doing what has been made the determination of necessity within a home to see this home be all that it can be. And again, with everybody who is represented here, well, it's going to be different. There's going to be differences for every home and every household. But the bottom line is, is that there's leadership and there's submission to leadership. How does that work in my wife and myself, in our lives? I don't just dictate to her. I hold her opinion as valuable. I'll ask her what she thinks. You know, whenever, whatever, if it's an expenditure, um, if it's a, something as far as with the kids or the grandkids, if it's with the home, we'll sit down and we'll discuss these things. And 99% of the time, we'll come to a mutual agreement because, again, we're on the same page. And even the give and take or the compromise, that will usually happen in discussion because, again, I know what she likes and what she desires. She knows what I like and I desire. I don't want to be a dictator within the home. I want to have that mutual respect or that mutual submission for one another that causes what is necessary for this home to be all that it can be in the sight of the Lord to come to pass. Lord, 
Enable me in the spiritual leadership of my home. Enable me to be the leader you have called me to be. And I pray that her prayer is the same from her perspective as well. In verse 5, For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Know that submission, again, is not a natural desire, but a supernatural ability to do that which God has called you to do. But can a woman do a better job spiritually? Aren't women more spiritual than men? Well, that's not, that doesn't even enter into the, to the argument. The argument is the male and the female God-ordained roles. Now, what Peter does is he pulls Sarah into, or Sarah into the conversation. Sarah, I think, maybe would have been able to do a better job than Abraham did because we see a few times here where Abraham failed, but Sarah, she prevailed in what she was called to do. And she even, when it says she called him Lord, we don't see in the Old Testament where she said those words, but through her actions we see that she was submissive to him as the leader. And so Peter Peter is saying, and he's using Sarah as an example of this woman who just does what she knows she's supposed to do. Now, the question is, what was she supposed to do? She was to be submissive to her husband. Now, look at the degree to which this woman was submissive to her husband. You've got Mr. Spiritual Leader here. He's guiding his family, and what is he doing? He takes him into this promised land in obedience to God, but when he gets there, it's not what he thought it would be. Things are kind of hard. He's brought him there, and there's Canaanites in the land. There's this godless people in the land. And so, wow, I thought I was just going to kind of get it all to myself. And then there's a famine going on in the land. And so now Mr. Spiritual Leader needs to make a decision, and he makes the decision, we're going to Egypt. And so they're on their way to Egypt, and in Genesis chapter 10, Verse 10 through 17. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And the idea here is this is in uh, opposition of just staying there and trusting in God. Verse 11. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, Now put your, ladies, put yourself in the position of Sarai here. That he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. And you can say, Well, that's very nice of a husband to say. Verse 12, therefore it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake and that I may live because of you. (laughs) That's what I think the reaction would be. Hey, dear, you know what? Things aren't going to go very well for me. You know, will you lie for me and, and tell them that, you know, you're just my sister or something like that? Well, there's some pretty reper- big repercussions. Verse 14, so it was when Abram came to Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and, and uh, commended her to, to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. And he treated Abram well for her sake, for she had sheep, or for he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, <coughs> female donkeys and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Dear, we're worried about me here. 
And so, I mean, this is Mr. Spiritual Leader. And so she's obedient. So at some point, they must have asked her as well. And she said, yeah, he's my, he's my brother. I mean, there was an element of truth because they were half brother and half sister. But nonetheless, she was his wife. And so at some point, there she is. She's brought into the palace, and she's brought into Pharaoh's, um, one of his concubines, his harem. And so nothing happened, and God kept her because she, you know, God's protection was upon her. But can you imagine she's sitting up on the balcony at one point thinking, I'm obedient to my husband, and this is what happens? To save his own skin, he gives me to this, this heathen man. And then she could look down the way and see Abraham in the middle of all these sheep, and he's just happy as can be. Look at all the sheep I got. Where's your wife? And, and, and again, if you could ask, where's your wife? And that's what I'm asking the men here today, even though we're talking to the women, but where's your wife? Or ladies, where's your husband? Where are they? Where are they with the Lord? And what influence are you able to have? This woman was willing to go to whatever extent, and then it happened again later on in, in chapter 20 with Abimelech, with the heathens that were of the land. He did the same thing once again. What respect would you have for a man who did something like that? Well, this is the example that the apostle Peter uses of a woman who respected her husband to such a great degree. Now, in leadership, in, in submitting to leadership, never do we submit to anything that is sinful. Never do, never do we submit to anything that is contrary to the Lord. And, and Abram, he was acting contrary to the Lord here, but nonetheless, her protection, her protection was God. And she was sure of that, and God did protect her and even delivered her from that. Now, I can imagine the conversation if I gave my wife to some other man's harem because I was concerned about my well-being, even if I got a few camels and goats for her, nonetheless, when she got back, we would have some sort of discussion, I am sure. And deservingly so. And so he's taken it, obviously, Peter. Peter's taken it to an extreme here. And, and, and again, how did he, he describe her? For in this manner in former times, the holy women who trusted in God. And her trust in God was faithful. And God was faithful because she trusted in him. Ladies, if you're married to an unbeliever today or a believer who's not walking well with the Lord, you can give me every reason in the world why you ought not to submit to him. But you do not trust in him. You trust in God. And your submission ultimately is to the Lord. We're going to look at the other side of the coin next week. But nonetheless, we need to see that these things are given so that we understand that which God blesses, that which God enables us in, and that which God will be glorified, or this relationship which God will be glorified through so that your marriage would be all that God has determined that it would be. Father, once again, we just thank you, Lord, for your word, your word that guides us, especially in this area. And even as I have jokingly said, when Peter thought of suffering, he thought of marriage, but it is true. Marriage is one of the hardest things that we do. And I just pray, Father, for 
the direction that your word gives us, that, Lord, we would stay under the shadow of your wings or in the constraints of your word and what your word calls and commands us to do. And so, Father, I just lift up those who are married here today. I just pray, Father, for those who are to be married. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would give them wisdom. I pray, Father, that they would see the direction that has been set in the past and follow through in obedience to your word. I pray in this particular case to the men who've been called to be the leaders of the home and pray, Father, that men would rise up and take the spiritual leaders and take the role of spiritual leader, no longer deferring to our wives, but truly taking that mantle up and to follow through in it. And so, Father, we just lift up ourselves to you, thanking you, God, that you have given us this day. Pray, Father, that we would be obedient to you according to, Lord, the things that you have spoken to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? <clears throat> Keep in prayer. We're having an outreach on the 16th. We're going to be having a, a uh, play here at the church. It's going to be at our Sunday morning service. It's going to be children's play, and this is going to be our, our basically our Christmas service. And um, we just uh, we have the kids because kids are a good attractant and uh, just an opportunity to minister to the community, minister to the family, relatives, whoever it might be. I'll be giving a Christmas message with an evangelical slant to it. Um, prayer, we'll have a couple up here for prayer after service tonight. We are having service. We're continuing on in Second Chronicles. And then lastly, if your child is of high school age, I strongly encourage you, there's going to be a meeting after service in the high school room to attend that so that they can have that time with Christ apart from all of the distractions in their lives that this uh, high school retreat that we'll be having, I believe it's in January, that God would do a great work. Um, so there's a meeting for that in the high school room after service. God bless you. As we sing this last song, it's a Christmas carol that could so sometimes easily get past us. One of the choruses says this, Christ is the Lord, O praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim. His power and glory evermore proclaim. Let's proclaim his glory today and let these words wash over you and let it not just be another song, but it be an expression of your worship to your God.
Amen.